Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. In the name of Allah, most gracious, most merciful. The Principles of Leadership by Dr. Yusuf bin Uthman al-Huzaym. Part 3. The Types of Leadership. The boss creates fear. The leader imparts confidence. The boss lays the blame. The leader rectifies wrongs. The boss knows everything. The leader poses questions. The boss makes work hard. The leader makes it enjoyable. The boss enjoys his own company. The leader enjoys the company of his crowd. This quotation is read or is by Russell H. Ewing. Strategic leadership, headship. A possible definition of strategic leadership might be the power of influencing others towards realizing a strategic goal. The power to influence stems from the qualities enjoyed by leaders. Moreover, innate strength and divine inspiration are granted to some rather than others that thereby affords them charismatic leadership. Hariri asserts that after following this line of thought to understand the concept of charismatic leadership, we arrive at the following truths. One, the concept of charismatic leadership suggests the existence of potential characteristics and abilities belonging to the charismatic personality that surpasses the abilities of others, allowing him to inspire others because of them. Two, the charismatic personality enjoys the ability to win the votes of his supporters in his pursuit of the leadership position. Three, the capabilities of the charismatic personality are made apparent with the success of having an impact on most segments of society as this will be perceived as rescuing them from falling behind and allowing them to achieve their hopes and aspirations for liberation, prosperity, and stability. 4. The charismatic personality has the benefit of being able to make exceptional decisions in the settling and resolution of complex problems which are not dealt with by the present law and constitution. 5. Charismatic leadership possesses the potential to cross all political and organizational barriers by winning the hearts of the masses who show love and complete loyalty to it. 6. Charisma is the union of personal talent and divine consciousness in the creation 
of historical leadership. Subsequently, it is absolutely erroneous to equate international political offices with charisma for the reason that charisma enjoys human personal leadership and it is not the role of the state to impose its influence over other states or to offer support at international political summits. The type of influence in this case can be classified as hegemony, coercion, and political intimidation as a way of attaining the backing of other states, a classic case being the United States of America and the political hegemony it practiced in the 90s and continues to practice today within the political arena. 7. Modern societies are characterized by bureaucratic systems and uh, transnational companies. This changeable feature of society will be a critical factor preventing the emergence of a charismatic model for the foreseeable future. 8. There exists a relationship between charisma, ethics and law. The charismatic leader tries to operate in compliance with customs, moral norms and laws to ensure the rights of others and to keep to the constitution. However, this does not prohibit the leader from directly and independently issuing resolutions, though this is done in the interest of public and not otherwise. 9. Loyalty to the charismatic leader could possibly turn to disregard if he deviates from justice and the needs of the people. It can be noted from the previous definition that strategic leadership implies inspired leadership. I further agree, agree, I further agree with this definition that is adopted by the majority of political circles where the impact of influence is immense, the time range is long, and the effects resulting from it, whether these are positive or negative, are geared at realizing that aim and objective or strategic initiative proposed by the leaders of nations, military wars, or religious reform, as well as leaders of parties, organizations, and trade unions. As for the second level of strategic leadership, this pertains to the leader who has a vision about which uh, uh, Dr. Abdurrahman Tawfiq writes, visionary leadership is the envisagement of where the organization should be in the long term. After that, this vision is transferred in various forms to others with the purpose of motivating individuals to participate in and affiliate themselves with this vision. And finally, for the organization of resources and operations in order to achieve it. Furthermore, visionary leadership is not merely concerned with the personal attributes of the leader as with the charismatic leadership, but it is also interested in the leader's behavior and position in other words, it is interested in all three factors. The visionary leader has four functions. To clarify direction, to strive for change based on external environmental factors, 
to be an official spokesperson and to instruct and train others to work as a team towards realizing the vision. Hughes and Catherine uh, Kularali identify a third level of strategic leadership. They state strategic individual and team leadership applies when they think, act, and have an impact on others in a way that encourages them to gain a permanent competitive advantage or lasting success for the organization. Being a good leader does not mean that one is a strategic leader, as our research and expertise have enabled us to discover some important intricate differences. Where the decisions and actions of leaders have strategic effects on the organization, the following classifications can be made. Strategic leadership is wide-ranging. The effects of strategic leadership are tangible after a considerable period of time. Strategic leadership often involves significant institutional change. Adopting the concept of strategic leadership ensures the continuous learning of leaders. Hughes states that organizations and leaders adopting specific theories on the factors that lead to success in the field of its activities, whose actions and decisions are informed, and whose results are determined by controlled measures, to then have these measures meet expectations, the organization will appear to be on the right track. Again, Hughes states that organizations and leaders adopting specific theories and the factors that lead to success in the field of its activities, whose actions and decisions are informed, and whose results are determined by controlled measures, to then have these measures meet expectations, the organization will appear to be on the right track. However, if these measures do not meet expectations, the necessary changes will take place and it will otherwise be considered part of the learning process. This process consists of five factors. Evaluating our current position. Uh, sorry, evaluating our current position refers to the process of gathering relevant information and deriving its meaning within the competitive environment for the institution. Knowing where we were and where we want to go refers to the strategic ambitions of the institutions with respect to its core vision, mission, and values. Learning how to achieve the goal involves the understanding and, inform and formation, involves the understanding, learning how to achieve the goal involves the understanding and formation of the critical elements of the strategy. Commencing the journey means translating the strategy into actions through the identification and application of plans. Ascertaining the extent of progress involves a process of continuous evaluation of effectiveness and efficiency. This measure leads to re-evaluation at a new level of institutional performance to facilitate the course of learning thereof. Managerial leadership. Dr. Abrahman Hajjan uh, defines it as the process by which it is possible to influence staff or workers by convincing them to work towards achieving the aims of the institution effectively and efficiently. Muhammad Uthman defines it as the capacity to plan, organize, 
direct, coordinate, and control to achieve a specific objective with the use of influence or action and official authority when necessary. As for White, he defines it as the leader undertaking the direction, coordination, and control of other workers within the administration. In terms of the world of management, Peter Drucker defines managerial leadership through the director. He states there are five basic operations associated with the work of the director, and these ultimately result in the integration of resources into an organism for growth and survival. Firstly, the director sets goals. He then decides on their nature, after which he sets ultimate macro goals in each area of the smaller micro goals in terms of what needs to be done to arrive at each of these goals and how to effectively present them to those requiring them for performance. Secondly, the director organizes and assesses the necessary activities, decisions and relations and undertakes the delegation and division of work by dividing the work into manageable activities and delegating each activity to the relevant staff. He then brings these units together to work with the organizational framework and then appoint individual members to manage each unit of work that must be undertaken. Thirdly, the director develops the enthusiasm, motivation, communication and formation of teams from amongst the individuals responsible for the various units of work. The director carries out these tasks drawing on the operations and relations he undertakes with his fellow workmen and their resolutions, particularly in relation to salary recruitment and promotion, whilst remaining in the constant contact with his superiors, subordinates and colleagues. Uh, the fourth main element is performance appraisal. This entails establishing the criteria which, uh, which should take account of several factors for measuring organization performance as well as appraising individual performance to ensure that organizational standards are understood and met by each person. Fifthly, the director seeks to develop and progress individuals in addition to himself. Civil and military leadership. Colonel Samuel Hain and Lieutenant William Thomas provide a definition of military leadership and describe the difference between it and civil leadership in the following state. The problems of military leadership in most respects resemble those faced by civil leaders just as the same uh, skills and knowledge are required of both of them. However, the conditions of military service and the nature of the environment that the military leader is, uh, is uh, or requires him to work in creating a number of uh, unique circumstances, specifically in the case of the armed forces. Although some view the latter organization as, as totally authoritarian, such a broad generalization about its nature and reality can in no way be considered accurate. While this might have been true in the past, it is certainly no longer the case. The command of effective military leadership consolidates his leadership powers with his troops so that it, in times of crisis and in dangerous situations, 
he is able to influence their behavior effectively and correctly whether he is exercising this leadership during drills within military training centers or with actual combat situations. Leadership within every armed forces carries punitive measures in connection to maintaining the responsibility of all troops, the troops in addition to other roles unique to this form of leadership. The vital importance ascribed to warfare leadership exists at all levels of administration, hence the troop or division commander is responsible for a small band of troops who are repeatedly assigned to dangerous operations wherein they are exposed to life and death situations and which differ only in time range to those operations carried out by the leaders of larger units. Besides the risky responsibilities inevitably attached to warfare and training, it is further required that the military leader be well versed in administrative skills and techniques applicable to industry and commerce. Thus, its administrative services, departments, and training centers very closely resemble the organizations of the industrial world, and in many cases, the individuals working there constitute part of the civilian labor force. As such, it is not possible to distinguish these workers from those who work within industry and commerce, as carrying out any of these tasks requires the commander to adapt functional methods to the needs of the group or environment. In spite of the vast differences in attitudes or organization structure or in the nature of the individuals appointed to leadership, the basic requirements of leadership remain nonetheless the same. Influencing subordinates is therefore, therefore crucial, as is being in charge of them, guiding them towards specific aims and solving individual problems, just as it is essential to achieve the particular aims and objectives of an organization. In the past, minor and major adjustments to leadership have taken place, with varying degrees of success, such that many leaders who have employed conventional knowledge and expertise have demonstrated a great deal of talent and competence to fulfill their roles, while others have not been able to do this at all. It is quite often the case that leaders do deliver the desired results, though at the lowest possible level, and at the expense of considerable time, manpower, and finance. Uh, what's more, leaders who achieve such low levels of performance fail to address rather than neglect serious problems which therefore continue to escalate. Military leaders these days have no choice but to be able to tackle complex issues while making minimal mistakes at the level of enhanced and outstanding performance. However, merely knowing how to operate one of the headquarters is not a sufficient enough foundation for addressing the rapidly changing circumstances of the contemporary military milieu. Uh, for this reason, leaders must be adequately equipped for the issues of today and conscious of the causes and effects of things. This enables the leader to acquire expertise through experience and practice. This latter point is an essential element of leadership as it affords the leader the opportunity to derive significant lessons from his experience, thereby extending the extent of his knowledge and his ability 
to adapt to changing circumstances. Lieutenant Colonel Nasser bin uh, Hamoud al-Utebi divides the various roles pertaining to military leadership into these classifications, leadership, administration, and the art of leadership. He says, the general concept of leadership refers to the professional pursuit of arms and its specialization in comparison to civil life. This is derived by the leader from the responsibilities and powers conferred upon him and in compliance with the rules and regulations of holding office. Successful leadership therefore demands the accomplishment of tasks and official matters and the realization of the country's goals and not only the ability to understand and read into matters or merely demonstrate academic achievement. Rather, the leader is required to be practiced and proficient in the area of administration as this will help him plan, manage, uh, control, and coordinate the carrying out of tasks, official matters, and units of duty. Hence, if leadership refers to the power vested in regular workers within the chain of command, also termed the leadership of men, then it can be inferred that men are in fact the cornerstone of this process. About the art of leadership, he states, the art of influencing others and motivating them to set objectives towards carrying out tasks and completing work is performed in accordance with the requirements of a specific objective and by enthusiastically cooperating with their leader. This is particularly pertinent in the case of leader-soldier relations. Categorically, there are four aspects of uh, categorically there are four aspects to the process of leadership: the leader, the subordinates, the work environment, and the situation or position, and the communication process between the leader and his subordinates. The impact of the art of leadership is most prominent and significant at the lowest level of authority, that is, of uh, any direct leadership, where the impact affects subordinates face-to-face and where the leader applies an important role to himself in the process. Likewise, a significant role is also played in determining uh, directives and goals, as well as policy-making at the highest level, and implementing methods of application for management procedures. The difference between leadership and administrative leadership. Experts distinguish between the concept of leadership and administrative leadership. While leadership connotes connotes the characteristics that describe the influential leader based on personal and behavioral components, administrative leadership refers to the occupation of managers to plan, organize, and monitor subordinates. It follows that not all leaders, administrative leaders, are managers. And likewise, not every leader is a manager. Others are of the view that leadership forms part of a manager's job, especially with regards to directing subordinates. The table below sets out the differences between leaders and managers. Let's go over it. Managers directing the self. Uh, Managers directing the self, leaders directing the self. 
Managers view the self as playing a role in the maintenance and running of an organization in order to achieve development. View the self as, a pl- as playing a role in the maintenance and running of an organization in order to achieve development. Leaders view the self as an entity separate from the environment with no sense of involvement in or reliance on the post. Uh, Managers prefer logic and rationality. Leaders uh, prefer to rely on intuition and feelings. Managers prefer regulated methods of working. Leaders prefer unregulated methods of working. Managers measure risks and prefer to plan. Leaders face risks and generally prefer challenges. Managers cooperate by negotiating and like details and practical applications. Leaders use persuasive methods and like extraordinary ideas. Managers allow for data to determine the situation. Leaders determine the situation themselves. Managers allow others to interpret the situation. Leaders explain events and content for the purpose of understanding. Managers interested in the present and current affairs. Leaders interested in the future and making change. Directing others. Managers focus on governing factors that help others to achieve the desired results. Leaders in directing others focus on creating a vision that guides others while depending on his own ideas. The leader. Managers in directing others Emotions are considered a cause of anxiety, uncertainty, and vulnerability. Uh, whereas leaders prefer, in directing others, prefer emotions as they create attachment and express a strong desire. Uh, directing, uh, managers in directing others, they have self-objectives or self-objectives are considered unnecessary and use methods that have been previously tested. Whereas leaders, in directing others, they set goals regardless of their ideas and enjoy anticipating future events. Managers prefer roles that specify the nature of relationship, in directing others, of course. Leaders uh, strive to win with, sorry, prefer emotional attachment in determining relationships uh, uh, managers seek to strike a balance between power and mediation in directing others. Uh, leaders strive to win with everyone. Uh, the focus, in the case of managers, on the decision-making process. The focus in directing others and the leaders with the leaders is on the type of decisions taken by themselves. Focus uh, on the dis. Okay, uh, managers give 
indirect instructions that indicate ambiguity in order to lessen the impact of emotions. Uh, leaders, uh, the attitude is clear in the face of emotion. Their attitude is clear in the face of emotions. Uh, managers utilize time to reach a compromise and afford time to discuss other issues. Uh, leaders utilize time to reach conclusions of matters while continuing to focus on specific number of issues. Okay, managers in directing the establishment prefer to follow traditional methods. Leaders in directing the establishment prefer innovative methods. Managers in directing the establishment prefer short-term results. Leaders prefer long-term results. Uh, in directing the establishment, manager interested in parts and details and not relationships. Leaders approach focuses or focus on researching morale. Focus on researching morale. Uh, in the case of uh, managers, focus on concrete things. Uh, uh, leaders focus on researching morale. Interested in parts and details or, and not in the relationship. These are managers. I said this before. Leaders approach focuses on everyone and seek the improvement of all. Uh, managers follow the same methods. Leaders develop new methods. Uh, managers devise an approach that seeks emotional satisfaction within the organization, which encourages staff to take an interest in the decisions taken and participate in making them. Leader or leaders create an influential atmosphere within the workplace in order to make employees feel more attached to their work and develop work-related values. Uh, some experts, among them uh, Roger Kaufman, differentiate between strategic leadership and managerial leadership based on the assumption that the former adopts uh, that the former adopts uh, the method of strategic thinking, while the latter adopts an operational approach. The difference between strategic and operational thinking is that 99% of managers and officials have thorough knowledge and skills in the practice of operational thinking, and so the majority tend to be inclined towards operational thinking, whether deliberately or as a result of habit. This has applied to the vast majority of officials and managers for a long time, and so drawing distinction, uh, and so drawing, uh, so and so drawing a distinction uh, between so and so drawing a distinction between the two has inevitably been the subject of much ongoing debate and discussion. Again, this has applied to the vast majority of officials and managers for long periods of time, and so drawing a distinction between the two has inevitably been the subject of much ongoing debate and discussion. Strategic thinking, operational thinking. Let's see the difference here. Strategic thinking, concrete. Operational thinking, longer term. Uh, strategic thinking, practical applied. Operational thinking based on perception. Uh, strategic thinking leads to solutions to performance-based problems. Operational thinking, intellectual and conceptual 
slash evaluative. Strategic thinking is subject to routine and continuity. Operational thinking identifies key issues or opportunities. Strategic thinking efficient, operational thinking effective. Strategic thinking a practical approach, operational thinking a theoretical approach. Strategic thinking visible to those on the ground below. Operational thinking visible from above and ventures into new areas. The difference between the types of leadership. Some say that the function of leadership is to do the right thing, while the function of the manager is to do things in the right way. In other words, the field of work that applies to leadership is effective uh, in relation to strategy and objectives that identify effectiveness. On the other hand, the manager's administrative leader's field of his work is efficiency in relation to administrative regulation, supervision, and control. Peter Drucker, however, does not differentiate between leaders and managers in his work entitled The Destruction of Leaders, saying that all influential rulers and great men throughout human history were not simply leaders but also successful managers as well as businessmen and prominent professionals. Conversely, effective leadership does not depend on an appealing personality as Eisenhower, George Marshall, and Harry Truman. While they were all exceptionally unique rulers, not one of them had a personality that could be considered more charismatic than that of Conard uh, Adinora, the chancellor who rebuilt West Germany after the Second World War. In the same manner, there is conceivably no personality that Allah has blessed with more charisma than that of Abraham Lincoln. In the same manner, there is conceivably no personality that Allah has blessed with more charisma than that of Abraham Lincoln from the state of Illinois, died in 1860 CE, despite being an unusually thin man and having lived in particularly remote area. Yet surprisingly, it can be argued that there is no person less charismatic than Churchill, a cynical man who was defeated and broken mainly in the years between the wars. Nevertheless, the most important issue is that in the end he was able to rectify himself. In fact, an appealing personality has arguably become the chief component that brings about the, the destruction of leadership. In fact, an appealing personality has arguably become the chief component that brings about the destruction of leaderships. It has tenaciously harmed leaders, causing them to believe in their own infallibility and making them incapable of change, as was, as was the case with Stalin, Hitler, and Mao. To draw on classical history, it has been argued that the premature death of Alexander the Great is what saved him from becoming incompetent and unsuccessful. The reality of the matter is that a charismatic personality does not necessarily guarantee its bearer will be an effective leader. Perhaps John F. Kennedy was arguably the most prominent charismatic personality to have lived in the White House, which has nothing to do with his leadership qualities or leadership personality. Franklin D. Roosevelt, Winston Churchill, George Marshall, Dwight Eisenhower, Bernard Montgomery and Douglas MacArthur were all leaders of high degree of efficiency 
and to a considerable degree of appearance during the Second World War. However, no two had the same characteristics in common. What then is leadership if it is not a charismatic personality or a set of personality traits? The first thing that is said about it is that it is work. This has been confirmed time and time again by many leaders possessing charismatic personalities such as Julius Caesar by way of example or to draw an example from the business world, Alfred Sloan, the man who established the directed the man who established and directed the company General Motors uh, from 1920 to 1955 CE. The basis of effective leadership is to contemplate on the mission of the institution by identifying and establishing it clearly and manifestly upon setting the leader's aims and priorities and in setting and maintaining standards this way, the leader naturally arrives at moderate solutions. Unfortunately, the reality of the matter is somewhat different. Effective leaders have a tendency to consider themselves above the law who are therefore lost and which further implies to their supporters such as the supporters of Stalin, Hitler and Mao who also suffer from this delusion. However, before an effective leader can accept any moderate solution, he must first deliberate or deliberate on its accurateness and desirability. The first task of the leader is therefore to determine the benchmark between himself and a misguided leader. Uh, he does this by setting real determinants for dealing with economic and political problems or issues specific to the people that are in compliance with his task and aims or which he otherwise abandons. This should in turn determine whether he is an effective leader or not or whether he only adheres to a few of these standards which is expressed, for example, by means of of his specific behavior in accordance with them, or whether he sees the standards as a means to prevent the consequences of his actions from being exposed. Additionally, the setting of standards also identifies whether the leader has genuine followers or merely loyal, hypocritical helpers. The other requirement looks at whether the leader views leadership as a responsibility rather than a rank or a privilege as effective leaders are rarely forbearing and blame themselves should things go wrong. From the perspective that the effectiveness of the leader depends on him and no other, the first and foremost responsibility is to not be afraid of the authorities who are there to assist and follow him, unlike the misguided leaders who are constantly fearful and therefore are always interested in uh, purgation. On the contrary, effective leaders are in need of powerful assistance and in, in, in a practice drive them forward, encouraging them and giving them confidence. Given that a president considers himself responsible for the mistakes of his assistants and followers, then in the same respect, their victories represent his victories more than threats. Of course, the effective leader naturally acknowledges the existence of threats in the form of competent, ambitious people, though the leader recognizes that this type of threat is considerably less risky than that posed by a regular worker possessing no distinction or excellence whatsoever. He also knows that the most serious threat he faces lies with the collapse of the establishment whereby it is simply abandoned and left to die, 
as was the case in Russia the moment Stalin passed away. In fact, this mostly occurs in companies whereupon the effective leader recognizes that the task of leadership ultimately entails creating activities and visions for people. Gaining confidence is the final requirement of effective leadership as without it the leader will not acquire followers. The single characteristic of a leader is a man who has followers although having confidence in the leader does not necessarily imply showing love towards him or even agreeing with him. Rather confidence along with faith rather confidence along with faith with conviction imply that the leader means what he says as well as believing in the long established concept known as trust trusteeship al amana which appeals to the conscious within the decisions and beliefs that the leader governs with must in this way be corresponding or at least comparable to one another so that effective leadership and this can once again be found in ancient wisdom does not rely primar- primarily on the intelligence of the person but instead is rooted in, in, in solid foundations. Alhamdulillah, that's the end of part three.